Welcome to the Asbury Free Methodist Broadcast, where today we will be listening to this week's sermon by Pastor Brent Russell. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to take them to and turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. And uh, we've been speaking on generosity. First week we spoke on generosity of time. Last week we spoke on generosity of talent. This week we are speaking on generosity of treasure, and it is a great week to speak on generosity of treasure. I got a note uh, from Tim, our treasurer, on Friday that uh, uh, last year, we just uh, finished up and uh, we're closing the books on last year, and we had a surplus of $7,400. You guys... uh, If you remember our society meeting, you might remember that I was saying, you know, we're going to be $15,000 in the hole. Um, And so that is absolutely astounding and amazing. And it makes me realize that, well, I am talking to a people who, many people who are very generous already. And so uh, I'm thankful to be able to do that. I have a, a number of purposes for talking to you about generosity this morning. And I want them to put them up front so that so that you don't feel like there's a hidden agenda. First of all, I want to avoid any kind of manipulation. Um, in Exodus chapter 25, the story of Moses, Moses is collecting for the uh, temple and is told, uh, and the emphasis in the story is on that those who are willing gave. So as I'm talking, I don't want there to be any sense that, you know, that generosity comes out of your heart. It's not the unwilling who give, it's the, it's the willing who, who give. So I want you to know up front that uh, this sermon will not be about manipulative pressure to get you to give. I actually d- detest manipulation, um, uh, it, it especially when it comes to the church and money issues. Now, I know that a number of people have the impression of church that all that they do is ask for money. If you've been around here for a while, you'll know that I don't speak on money a whole lot, but money is a discipleship issue. Uh, and it is uh, one of those things that we need to come to terms with in our, in our uh, following Jesus. Uh, Billy Graham said that your, your checkbook is a theological document. How you use your money uh, is, uh, and how you give your money says a lot about your spiritual life. So this morning, I want to help you think Christianly about money, and I want to give you practical answers in terms of how to give, what about tithing, how much should I give, this is not my intention, okay? <laughs> Best sermon I ever heard, you know? Yeah. Not long after we were married, uh, Linda had a car accident. And those are the kind of things you don't really uh, plan for in your household budget. After finding out that she was all right after the accident, my, my next thought was, okay, well, how are we going to pay for this? And my next thought because I was still on the phone with Linda, was, well, how can I speak comfort to her? And so I said, don't worry about it. It's only money. And on my better days, I believe that. Um, But of course, like you, I have a lot of days that are not my best days. See, top three reasons for marital breakup, money, sex, and in-laws. Money's right at the top of the issue. Right at the top of the, the pyramid there, right? Um, so, uh, so why is money at that top of the list? Well, 
Sometimes it's not just money, right? Sometimes it, it's comfort. I have a bad day and I want to feel better, so, you know, you can buy a new pizza or a pizza or new clothes. I hope you bought a new pizza. Um, yeah. <laughs> Recycled pizza is just not on the, not good, yeah. Um, yeah, you can buy, buy pizza, you can buy new clothes, buy new shoes. Or if it's a really bad day, you can buy a new speedboat, you know. Um, <laughs> you know, we save money so that we can have a better house or go on vacation. Well, we, we try to make sure that we can have a comfortable retirement. And so money, well, it's not just money sometimes, right? It's, it's comfort. Um, sometimes it's not just money, it's security. I like being, uh, being able to, to know that I can retire well, um, that I'm not going to be homeless. I like to know that uh, if a problem comes up, that I have enough money to deal with it. And in some ways, our bank accounts seem to serve as a personal safety net, and money becomes our security. Sometimes it's not just money, sometimes it's significance. This shows up in you know, designer labels, or what we wear, or the kind of car we drive, or neighborhood we live in, or the gadgets we sport. Money becomes significance. Um, sometimes it's, it's not just money, it's power, right? If you pay, you get a say. Um, that seems to be true, whether it's the parent or government lobbying, or in some places, church politics. Money buys influence. These things, comfort, security, significant power, these things are profoundly spiritual concepts that we all have to deal with. And they are profoundly spiritual issues, uh, and some of these are the most potent idols of our day. They are things that we have a tendency to prioritize above God. As a Christian, where's your primary source of comfort supposed to come from? Well, you know it's supposed to be found in Jesus. As a Christian, where's your security supposed to be found? Well, you know it's to be found in the faithfulness of God. As a Christian, where's your significance found? Well, it's to be found in what God thinks of you, right? As a Christian, where does your power come from? Well, his power is made perfect in my weakness. God's power shows up. Where does your power come from? That power is always to bring glory to God. Does that mean that having a, a comfortable house or going on a nice vacation is wrong? Does it mean that having a secure retirement is wrong? Does it mean that, well, buying that nice cell phone is wrong? And the answer is, of course, it depends. It depends on whether they are primary values or secondary values in, in your life. They can be idols, in which case, idols are always wrong. Comfort, security, significance, power can be what your life revolves around, and that's wrong. On the other hand, the houses, the vacations, they can become as part of life, 
and they're blessings to you. And you take them as such, and you give thanks. But make no mistake, these things are really hard to navigate. Come with me to the passage in Matthew chapter 19, verse 23. It says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, well, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Jesus said, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why is that? Because it's hard for a rich person not to find their comfort, their security, their significance, their power in money rather than God. In fact, it's downright impossible. If these things are left in front of our hearts and we're left to our own devices, we will bow down and worship them. When that happens, money becomes our master and not our God, and you can't serve two masters. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, somebody, someone, some people have tried to interpret this, that, uh, this verse to mean that, well, there was a, a gate called the needle gate, and which in order for a camel to go through it, it, it had to unpack the camel, and, and then uh, the camel had to go through this gate on its knees. That's totally bogus. Uh, sorry. Um, Jesus means exactly what he says. We're talking about the eye of a needle that you sew with. And, uh, and a real camel. How do you get a camel through the eye of a needle? The answer is, you don't. It's not merely difficult. It is absolutely impossible to do that. So Jesus says, it is impossible for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Right? He says that. So is it impossible for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven? Well, yes and no. Yes, it's impossible. But look at the last line, verse 26. With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So, in other words, it's going to take a miracle to get a rich person into the kingdom of heaven. And it's a great thing that we serve a miracle-working God, isn't it? It's especially good for those of us who live in North America, especially middle-class North America, where even though we feel poor, we are much richer than most. 
in the world. If you were to take our poor middle-class existence and put it next to um, places in Africa or South America or India or parts of Asia, we classify as, as rich. You're a rich person. Jesus is talking about us. So it's a good thing that God is a miracle-working God and does the impossible for us. He's able to get the rich through that eye of a needle into the kingdom of God. But unless God does a miracle in our hearts, it's not going to happen. Now, hear this. It is not wrong to be rich. You, you don't need to walk around feeling bad that you're rich and that you have more than other people. We'll get to a, a verse a little later on that, that talks about rich Christians. You just need to know that, well, God has to perform a miracle in your heart. God needs to transform your heart in regards to um, what you possess, in regards to comfort, in regards to security, in regards to significance, in regards to power, in order for you to fully enter into the kingdom of God. Now, when you became a Christian, God made you a new creation, right? He has done the initial transformation. He allowed you into enter into the doorway of the kingdom of God, but if you're going to fully enter in, you'll have to deal with the issues around money in your life. Money is going to have to come, become to you, well, it's only money. When you became a Christian, God made you a new creation. But if you don't deal with the issues in your life, you're going to experience a lot more death in your soul than you really should. Anxiety will replace faith. Worry will replace joy. Unless your attitude is altered, the more you have, the more you're going to take time to worry about it. And it warps our perception of ourself. See, security and significance are at the basis of how you think about yourself, your self-image. Um, how you think about yourself depends on how secure you feel and how significant you feel. If those feelings of security and significant are only informed by your bank account, well, you're in trouble. Because if you don't deal with the, the money issue, you will, will either become proud, oh, look what I have, or self-hating, and neither is a good place to be. If you don't deal with these things, greed tends to rear its ugly head, and greed has a way of ushering in a truckload of evil. Money is not the root of all evil. Love of money is. Materialism, idolatry, are around the corner unless we deal with these things. I've watched money destroy people's lives. And I've watched people who have allowed God to deal with their heart experience real joy in many areas of their life because they came to understand money as God understands money. So how does it happen? How does God do the impossible in us? How, how does he transform our lives? 
Well, first thing is it comes through connection with God, transforming our thinking, changing our behavior. You cannot deal with the issues of comfort and security and significance and power without getting God's perspective on your life and engaging in different behavior, in the discipline of giving. We talk a lot about connection with God around here, so I am not going to spend a whole lot of time today on, only let me say this, let your financial decisions affect your prayer life. Let how you spend and how you save be part of what you talk to God about. Um, the transformation of our thinking is, is more than we have time to deal with today, but it's one part of it. So we need God to deal with our heart. We need uh, just a connection with him. We're abiding in him. He's going to give us a good perspective. Needs our mind transformed and renewed. That's all good. And uh, let me give you one quick passage here. First Timothy chapter 6. This is this. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud. So, look, at, they're rich. He, he's talking to Timothy, who is the pastor of a church. Not to be proud and not to trust in their money. Which is so unreliable. True that. The trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Did you catch that? You've been given what you have for your enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They, they should be rich in good works. Talked about that, time, talent. And generous to those in need. Always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Notice that Paul doesn't condemn the rich for being rich. Um, but he does say, uh, if you're going to be rich, watch out for pride. If you're going to be rich, trust, trust God rather than your money. You're going to have to watch out for not switching those two things. It also tells them they need to be rich in good deeds, good works. He instructs them to be generous. Transformation happens as they change their behavior. Paul says, tell them to use their income, their money, to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need always being ready to share with others. I promise to be really practical today. John Wesley once wrote, wrote a sermon. He said, uh, it had three points. He said, make all you can. Make money. Go ahead and make all you can. Then he said, save all you can. Good words. And he says, give all you can. Not bad advice. Let me walk you through the ways that God transforms our heart. Uh, through what we do. Last couple of weeks, I've talked about being generous of time and talent. In other words, be rich in good work. Now he goes on to say, be generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. Let me give you a few behaviors to combat the temptation to make comfort, security, significance, power into idols, rather than being generous. Tithing. Tithing is an Old Testament concept 
which teaches we should give one-tenth of what we make to the Lord. Some people think that because it's an Old Testament concept that it doesn't apply to Christians. That's true, and it isn't true. As a Christian, you gave your life to Christ. In other words, everything that you have is his. New Testament model is not 10% belongs to the Lord and 90% belongs to me. No, it's New Testament model is, Lord, I gave you all that I have. 100% belongs to God. We don't own our stuff. We steward our stuff. We manage our stuff for God. And God entrusts us with what we have. So what do we do with tithing? Well, tithing isn't a law like, let's say, forgiving somebody who wronged you is. Um, but tithing is a way of dealing with the question, how should I be generous? I've been in places and in churches where throwing a $20 bill on the offering plate was seen as being generous. But that kind of gift usually doesn't deal with the issues in our heart of comfort and security and significance and power. Um, so the tradition of the church has always been to, to recommend 10% of your income as a starting point for generosity. Now I know that there's many of you who do this already. That's a wonderful start. There's those of you who haven't made, made this your practice, and you think, 10%? I don't, I don't know if I can do 10%. Um, well, again, start where you can give cheerfully. How about 3% or 5%? Um, it's going to have to cost you something significant for you to deal with the idols. For those of you who haven't been practicing tithing, could you trust God? I've heard story after story, and I've seen it in my own life, how God has provided when people decided to trust him, trust him with giving. Here are the usual questions that come up with tithing. Should I tithe on my gross or on my net? <laughs> Remember, we're dealing with your heart, not with the law. Um, that's a legalist question. But if for you legalists, um, I recommend tithing on your net and going from there. I know some of you do a lot more than that. But I remind you what Jesus said. Luke chapter 6. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured out into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This is about generosity. It's not about law. But God has a way of giving back to those who give. Give and it will be given to you. Now, I don't subscribe to the prosperity gospel that, hey, if you drop $100 in the offering box, you're going to get 1000 bucks back this week. That doesn't, God doesn't work linearly like that. But I've also seen where I haven't been able to outgive God. God seems to always give back more than, than I ever give. I think you'll find that too.
God's really faithful. Um, note that he says that if you're stingy in your giving, um, stinginess has a way of being returned in how the blessings are measured back to you. If you're generous in your giving, time, talent, treasure, then that's the measure God uses. The most blessed people, they're generous people, as I, I've usually found. Um, now here's something just to confuse you just a little bit more. So, for those of you who tithe, you give 10%, the government gives you back about 40% of your charitable giving. It's 39, maybe. Um, so for round numbers, let's say you make $100,000 and you give 10%, so, so you give $10,000. When you go to fill out your tax return, you're gonna get about $4,000 of that back. So you've tithed to the church and you've given 10%, and the church has received 10%, but when it's all said and done, you've given 6%. Is that okay? I don't know. It's not law. It's grace, right? You figure those things out. Will you be generous with God? He's always faithful. Next question, should I just give 10% to the church? Or should I spread it around to different ministries and churches and the poor? And I don't like that question because it seems self-serving when I say that God's agent for transforming the world is the church, and so that be, should be the primary place where you give. But it's always good to give in other places as well and spread your offering around. Um... And look for places where you don't get a charitable receipt. Sometimes you give because it's the right thing to do. Next question is, should I give more than a tithe? Generally, the answer is yes over time. Ezra chapter 2 verse 69 says, according to their ability, they gave to the treasury in their work. Some of your ability will, some of your... What you give, it depends on your ability. I'd urge you to become wise and open-hearted at the same time. My guess is, is that your bank account, no matter how full it is, will not solve all the needs of the world. Right? You can't solve all the needs by your giving. But I love the saying, do for one what you'd love to do for many. Do for one what you'd love to do for many. Andy Stanley said that, and I thought, oh, yeah, that's right. You may not be able to help all the refugees in the world, but help one. You may not be able to help all the orphans in the world, but maybe help one. So when people ask for money, you don't have to say yes all the time. But I would urge you to be open-hearted and then wise, right? That's a good way to be. So how else does one approach giving? Well, says yes, you pray about it. Wouldn't that be a good place to start? Some of us have been in the habit of giving so long that we just, yeah, we just give. 
be a good thing to pray about. If you're married, talk to your spouse about it. Get them praying as well. Uh, the reality of it is for most of us that um, a lot of our giving can only start once we get our finances under control. And so if you need help getting your finances under control, get that help. And if you don't know where to get that help, talk to me and I'll point you in directions that can get that help. The others is, what can I trust God for? There's a faith involved in giving. Others, do I have surpluses? Let me talk to you about some of the logistics of giving at Asbury. You can give in the offering box at the back or out at the side. If you plan to give that way consistently, ask for envelopes. It'll help the people who count the money. You can choose to give online, either through PayPal or uh, uh, through a credit card at the website. And if consistency is an issue for you, you just keep on forgetting to give your money, then you can go on there and say, okay, deduct X amount of money every month, and it'll do that. You can choose to give by uh, uh, e-transfer, give at asbury.ca. Uh, that email, uh, you can send it to. So this morning, I'm trying to talk to you about being a Christian and money. Prayer, your attitude in giving, your behavior is the only way to protect your heart against making money into an idol. So I urge you to give. But I leave this reminder from the Apostle Paul. He says this. You must each decide in your own heart how much to give. You don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. No. For God loves a person who che gives cheerfully. Ah, give cheerfully. Give generously. It's a mark of a transformed heart that generosity starts to infiltrate our lives. I'd encourage you. Allow God to transfer your heart in this area as well. Let's pray. So, Lord, thank you so much for how you've been generous with us. You gave of yourself. And so, Lord, help us to be generous as well. Forgive us for when we have had idols of comfort or security or significance or power. And those idols have become bigger than you. Lord, forgive us we break those idols down. We ask, Lord, that instead, generosity would mark our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us this week on Asbury Free Methodist Broadcast. Make sure to visit our website at asburyfmperth.com where you can subscribe and never miss a show. If you'd like this broadcast, you might want to check out our Facebook page, Asbury Free Methodist Church. Until next week, take care and God bless.